And while you're taking your seat, I would invite you to uh, turn in your copy of the scriptures uh, to the portion of uh, God's word that Pastor Dave read a few moments ago from uh, Paul's first epistle. Uh, We're continuing this morning with our study of 1 Corinthians, uh, picking up at chapter 4 and verse 14 and working through the end of that chapter. And if you've been with us over these past weeks, then you will know that in this letter, Paul is addressing a church which he had originally, as a missionary evangelist, had planted in the city of Corinth, which we've said is was strategically located in Greece. Uh, but that was four or five years earlier. He had spent about a year and a half there uh, preaching the gospel of Christ, and, and uh, many were coming to faith in Christ and becoming Christ followers and uh, he was growing the church, and he was feeding the new believers. But then it was time for him to move on in his missionary labors. And uh, so about four or five years have passed, and he has now uh, heard some reports that have come to him from some people who were part of Chloe's household. Chloe was one of the converts there, and, and uh, they've come to him and uh, reported to him that things are not well in the church in Corinth, and that there are many, many problems that are plaguing uh, the Corinthian believers. And so over uh, the last uh, four chapters, as we've been working through it, Paul has been giving, as it were, uh, a verbal spanking to these believers. Now, uh, I don't know if you know anything about spanking, verbal or otherwise, but if you had a father that was anything like my father, then you know a little bit about spanking. Uh, I know that today it's not... Uh, kosher to to spank your child. We wore out, I think, a couple of wooden spoons on our children over the years. Uh, but uh, when I was a boy, my father seemed to have a theory that intelligence could be magnified by an increased flow of blood to the brain through the stimulation of the gluteus maximus. And he applied that theory, that hypothesis, on a regular basis. Now, I don't really think that my father enjoyed applying that theory, uh, but he seemed to give it his all. (laughs) And in my young mind, I kind of had the impression that he took a fiendish delight in meeting out my punishment. The story I've told before, uh, I'm not going to take the time to do it because our time is short this morning, uh, but how I, um, after they had invested quite heavily in buying a, a brand new instrument and musical lessons for me at the age of seven, I wanted to learn how to play the piano. And uh, he found me one day uh, resisting my mother's order to practice for an hour after school while the other boys were out playing ball and cowboys and Indians and all the rest. I had to stay in the hot house in springtime and practice the piano. I didn't like it too much. And and uh, he came in up the drive. I didn't know it. He came up the drive and heard me pounding on the keyboard. And, and without any warning or announcement, he came into the front door, assessed the situation quickly, ripped me off of the piano bench, didn't even have the grace to do it through my gabardine pants, but instead pulled my pants down and let me have it with his thick leather New York State trooper belt. And I stood the rest of that practice session that day. And he said to me, Rick, we've invested a lot of money in this. You said you wanted to do it. We didn't force it on you. You said you wanted to do it. Therefore, you're going to learn to like it, whether you like it or not. 
and I learned to like it. There was a bit of discipline that was applied, and I don't know if that matches up with your sense of order and discipline in the home, but I liken it a bit to what Paul is doing here. He's, he's kind of through his ladder, he's confronting these believers about some of the, the wrong paths that they're going down, and he's unloading with both barrels, uh, thus far anyways, confronting them about their carnality and their, their proneness to giving in to the carnal flesh. He's confronting their pride, their arrogance, their love of human wisdom and philosophy, their sectarian spirit, the splits and the quarrels which characterize their life together in the church. And uh, he just comes right at them, front on, frontal approach, and says, it can't be this way. But he takes a pause in chapter 4 for a moment. And he puts the verbal whipping aside, puts it on hold, and he talks to them like a father. Like a father would a child. Now, obviously, you can see that there would have been a wee bit of strangeness or strain between the Corinthian believers and Paul because of the things that he's saying. But Paul is banking his hopes on the hope that the Corinthians will listen to him, and that they will listen to him based on the reality of the intimate relationship that he, as their spiritual father, because he is the one who introduced them to the Christian way, the special relationship that he has with them as their spiritual father in the faith. So in this section, verses 14 through 21, he he comes at it three different ways, and the first thing he does is to appeal to them in a fatherly appeal. It is as if he takes off his his uh, apostolic robe for a moment and puts aside all the official formal tones and, and addresses the Corinthians in a very intimate way. In this instance, a father appealing to his much-loved but wayward children. And he says in verse 14, I'm writing this to you, my dear children. I am not writing this to shame you but I'm writing this to warn you. See, Paul did not want to ridicule them. He did not want to deride them. He did not want to shame them and put them down. Paul wants the Corinthians to come back to the gospel as he had presented it to them years earlier. He wants the Corinthians to come back to the place where they will once again recognize and and value the riches of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And and when he hears these reports about what's going on in the church, he's distraught. Can't believe that these things are happening. That they've been swayed by these other guides and teachers. So Paul wants them to come back to, to the faith. But he doesn't want them to come back out of a sense of shame or duty or obligation or oughtness. But rather, he would prefer that the Corinthians would come to their spiritual senses and and that they would willingly, voluntarily and gladly as wayward children return to the forgiving Father. And so his motivation is not one of shaming, but his motive at this point is one of love. Paul knows that there have been some other teachers who've gotten their fingers in the pie. He says, tens of thousands of guardians you have, but only a few spiritual fathers. 
Paul is concerned that some of these other teachers have begun to lead the Corinthian Christians astray in their walk of faith and have been causing the Corinthian believers to go against the teaching that Paul had delivered to them when he was there in their midst and discredit the reputation of Paul. So Paul makes this one final last-ditch appeal to the believers as their spiritual father, hoping against hope that perhaps this might be the time, this might be the defining moment, this will be the time when the message, the warning would get through. And he says, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers because in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. So there's a fatherly appeal there. The second thing I want you to notice is not only the father's appeal, but a father's example. The testimony of Paul's life that was lived openly before them. Look at what he says in uh, verse 16. Therefore, I urge you. There's a sense of urgency about this. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, Corinthians, to imitate me. In other words, be followers of me. Uh, to mimic. The Greek word is mimuai or mimites, which means to mimic or to imitate. Paul says, I'll set the pattern. My life will be the template and you follow me. Now, what's interesting about this is this is not the only place in Paul's uh, uh, epistle literature that he says this sort of thing. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9, Paul says, to the Philippians, the things that you have heard and seen in me, you do. Do what I do. In other words, you copy my example. In 1 Corinthians 11, later on in this same epistle, in 11 and chapter 1, he says to the Corinthians, you be followers of me as I am a follower of Christ. What is Paul saying there? He's saying, look, you need to be following my example. I'm following Christ. You watch my life, and then you make your life like mine. Now, you might find those words a bit bold, even stunning. I mean, think about that a moment. Imagine you saying to someone else, Hey, you follow my example. I want you to model your life based on what you see in me. Let me ask for a moment. Would you be willing to take that risk? Would you dare say to someone, you follow my example? Why would Paul say something like this to the Corinthians? Wouldn't it be safer for him to say, imitate Christ? Instead of saying, imitate me to imitate Christ, why does Paul take this risk? Why does he use his life as the primary example or template which they are to follow? Well, the first thing I want to say about that is to say that while for, for Paul, Christ is always the supreme example of a life to follow and an example to follow, and the example which he, Paul himself, was following, as chapter 11 and verse 1 will show, the reality is that the people to whom Paul is writing at this moment do not have the advantage of having a copy of the New Testament in front of them. They didn't have a Bible in the first century. Nicely uh, covered with bonded leather and red letter edition and broken down into chapters and verses with concordances and all the rest. That came later. 
the reason that Paul says you follow me is because for the Corinthians, Paul was their Bible. You know, someone has said that as Christ followers, our lives are the only Bible that some people will ever read. There are some of the people that you work with, some of the people in the neighborhood where you live, that will never break the binding on a copy of the Scriptures. And they will understand the Gospel by what they see in you. What a stunning thing that is. To realize that some people, as I said to the new members this morning, some people are evaluating the person of Jesus and Christianity and the cause of Christ based on what they see in your life. When Paul was in the midst of the Corinthians, they had seen a genuine, authentic person of integrity who loved God. He wasn't perfect. He admitted that he was the chief of all sinners. But he admitted that he was trusting in the unmerited favor, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So the only thing that the Corinthians knew about Christ are the things that were reported to them by people like Paul. Things that were taught to them orally and verbally by apostles who had visited and lived amongst them. Paul lived there for a year and a half. They got to see his life day after day after day, day in and day out. You know, when you spend time with a person, you begin to understand what they're really made of. One of the the primary concerns that I have when I responded yes to the call of Christ on my life to serve as a minister of the gospel was to make sure that there was an alignment between the person, the public persona of Rick Crocker and the private persona of Rick Crocker. So that when my kids and my wife would experience my life at home in the day-to-day part of living, that they would not see a disconnect between what they hear and see here when I preach the Gospel and what they, they hear and see and experience when I live at home with them. Now, there are times when my wife will say to me, Oh, if they could only see you now typically comes along about 9.30 at night when my hair gets all tousled and my shirt tail comes out and I'm scratching like an ape ready to go to bed. But I want you to know that the effort of my life has been to be a person of integrity who lives the same, a consistent walk with God. That's not of me. That's of the Spirit working in me. To live a consistent life so that the husband that I am and the father that I am is consistent with the kind of pastor that I am. I think one of the things that has been most distressing to me as I look at the lives of fellow servants is the seeming disconnect between their lives in the ministry and their life at home. Paul had lived amidst the Corinthians for a year and a half. And he said, you've measured my life. You see that I'm a person of integrity. You've heard my message. You see that my walk and my talk match. There's an intersection between these two things. Now, because you've seen the reality of this, now you imitate me. You mimic what you've seen and what you've experienced. And he says, if you doubt that, uh, I'm going to put a little insurance on this because I'm going to send to you, I'm going to send to you my son in the faith, Timothy. 
And he says, he will remind you of what my life in Christ was all about. He will remind you that I've lived a life of integrity. And by the way, Timothy is a living, breathing example of what I'm asking you to do to imitate Christ. Because Timothy is one of my sons in the faith. And, and I've mentored him and I've loved him and I've poured my life into him. And he is my spiritual son. And when you look at Timothy, you'll see a lot of things in Timothy that you've seen in me. There's a, a, a consonance there. There's not a dissonance. There's a consonance there between what you see in Timothy and what you see in my life. Timothy resembles me. I'm his spiritual father. He resembles me. I was reminded of the power of family resemblance. A, a few months ago, I got a call from Mary Lee Swanger, who attends here at First Alliance, and she said, Pastor, most interesting thing happened. Uh, I was in the dentist's office the other day and waiting uh, for my dental cleaning, and a young man in his mid-20s came into the, the dental office, and he picked up a magazine and sat down uh, near me. And she said, I thought to myself, I was sitting there with my sons, I thought to myself, that looks like it might be one of Pastor Rick's sons. I don't know which one it is, Jared or Justin, but it looks like it might be one of Pastor Rick's sons. But she was hesitant because she wasn't quite sure. And she said he went over to the magazine rack and then he, he uh, went to a chair and he sat down and he sh- she said, all doubt was gone when I saw that young man, handsome, looked like Pastor Rick, when I saw that young man sit down and cross his legs. She said, I knew immediately that it had to be your son. She said, I knew that because he crosses his legs the the exact same way that you cross yours. There was a family resemblance there. All doubt was gone. Because my son resembled me. Carry that over into the spiritual realm. Do you resemble Christ? When people see you, do they see something different about you? Do they see the glory of Jesus in you? The light of Christ in your eyes? When they hear you speak, are they reminded of the words of the Heavenly Father? When they see the way you interact in the place of business, in, in your affairs in the neighborhood, is there any family resemblance? Are you progressing in the faith? Are you looking more like Jesus with each and every passing day? Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, because I'm your spiritual father. Take heed of this warning I've given you. And don't forget the example that I've set for you. Mimic me, imitate me. But finally, he says in fatherly anger, some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out... Not only how arrogant these people are talking, but what power, what real spiritual power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. The kingdom of God is about power, spiritual power. 
What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip, Paul says, or shall I come to you with a gentle spirit? Paul has appealed to them. He's reminded them of his powerful example that they are to imitate him. And then, kind of in this one last fell swoop, he, he kind of lets some righteous indignation express itself. And he's not afraid to say some hard things to them because it's necessary. And judging from Paul's words, it is necessary. Judging from what he said, not everybody, yeah, Paul is convinced that not everybody thinks he's going to come and visit them. But he says, if the Lord is willing, I will come. And Paul uh, responds to their arrogance and their presumption. And he, he declares that if they're not be moved by his fatherly appeal, if they'll not be motivated by his fatherly example, then maybe, just maybe, they'll respond to his fatherly anger. And if you're a mother or father in this room, even if you're a child, which you are, can't you relate to that? I remember as a kid how I would not always respond to my parents as quickly as they thought I should. When they asked me to do something, maybe I delayed or put off or made excuses. And I would push my parents. I wasn't the perfect child. You might think so, but I was not. I would push my parents to a point, and I would go a bit too far, and I would say something, or I would not do something, or I would not respond obediently. And if I waited too long, or I said something I shouldn't have said, my parents at times would call out, Ricky Joe Crocker! And you knew every time that they used all three names, you were in for it. Isn't it funny? The only time your middle name comes out is when you're about to be punished. Well, Paul bears his teeth a little bit. It's kind of like he uses all three names and he said, I'm appealing to you in gentleness as a father. I'm appealing that you'll change your ways, that you'll get your act together, that you'll return to the glorious gospel that I preached when I was first in your midst. I'm appealing to you that you would follow my example, a template that I've given for you to live out this life of faith. But if those things fail to succeed, then I'm going to say, listen, listen, you, listen. Some heads are going to roll. There's going to be some discipline. And when I come, Paul says, I'll find out which of you are just a bunch of windbags or just talk. And I'll find out which of you really manifests the power of God. I'm going to come to you and I'll find out who is authentic, who is genuine. I just want to remind you that there's coming a day when there's going to be a great weighing. We will be weighed in the balance. We will stand in the judgment. And God will find out whether we've just been a bunch of talk. We've put on a good show. We've acted like we were Christ followers. We've put on a good show. We wore the mask. We did it well. Or whether we are genuine and real. This series is entitled, Get Real. Learning to Live the Christ Life. And my fatherly exhortation to all of us today 
is that as Paul has spoken to the Corinthians, we would hear his voice saying some hard things to us today. When we go down paths that we shouldn't go down, when we let pride or arrogance or carnality take over in our life together, when we take paths that go away from the cross rather than toward the cross, when we flaunt God's teaching, and when we flaunt the godly examples that God has placed for us to follow. And God sometimes has to give us a wake-up call, like Paul was giving to the Corinthians. God will at times announce a wake-up call and say, sometimes I have to use the rod to get your attention. Our Heavenly Father, who is no less loving than Paul was, will not sit idly by and watch us as we continue to go down the wrong paths because our God is loving. He loves us too much to let us get by with that. And He will do, God will do what He has to do to bring us back to Himself. Sometimes it's with the rod of discipline that He brings us back. Sometimes it's with the mere prospect of discipline that He calls us back. Sometimes it's with the wooing, gentle voice of His Spirit that He calls us to Himself. And I'm wondering this morning, will you respond? The choice is yours. Notice in verse 21, there's no answer to Paul's question. Do I need to come to, with a whip or shall I come with a gentle spirit? There's no answer to the question there. The answer is left open because the choice was theirs and the choice is yours. Is God trying to get your attention about something? Has He been speaking to you in a gentle whisper and drawing you to Himself with that loving, tender touch of a father? Respond to it. Because sometimes, if you don't respond to that, sometimes God, in order to get your attention, will bring the chastening rod. And there's going to be some hardship to get your attention. So this morning we see a father's appeal, a father's example, and a father's righteous anger to call these Corinthians and to call us back to the glorious gospel of Jesus. Let's listen and obey like good children. Let's not exasperate our heavenly Father, but instead let's respond to Him with an immediate yes and say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Father. I will follow You. May God help us in that. Let's pray together. Father God, in this brief time we've had this morning, we thank You for this portion of Your Word, which has reminded us of this sober nature of the call of Paul to the Corinthian Christians and, and really for the church today. We see, Lord, the church going in so many different directions, going down some wrong paths, see Christians making bad choices. And, um, Lord, we admit that very much like the Corinthians, we've allowed carnality and pride and arrogance and other attributes to characterize our lives and our life together. We pray, O oh God, that uh, through the wooing of Your Spirit that calls us back to Christ, that we will respond to the gentle 
whisper of the Spirit. And it will not be necessary, Lord, for you to take the rod and as our Heavenly Father, because you love us so much, find it necessary to, to use that rod to bring us back to where we ought to be. Thank you, Lord, for godly men and women who have served as spiritual mothers and fathers in our lives, who have influenced us for Christ as Paul had influenced the Corinthians. And we pray, Lord, that the resemblance of our family, because we are children of God through Christ, that we will more and more resemble Jesus because of your gracious work in our lives. Draw us close, Lord. Draw us close to you, we pray.